Can you imagine uh, navigating Boston with a paper map? Like, have you ever tried to do, like, has anybody ever tried to do that? I remember, you know, you've done it before? Yeah, when I first moved here in 2003. No kidding. Yeah, okay. You really weren't using it. Right. So in 08, I came here for the first time, and or the first time driving, and they, and that was when Garmin and Nuvi were a thing. Do you remember those, right? And you would go through the tunnels, and she did the, she did her best, like, bless her heart would be the phrase you would use in the South, like, Garmin did her best, bless her heart, like, she struggled you know, and she would recalculate and try to get us through the tunnels. But that would be better in a paper map because if you went through Boston on a paper map, I don't know how you would even tell what was the underground roads and the above ground roads. Like, you know, does the paper map come with two layers and there's, you know, a a bottom layer and a top layer. I don't even know how that would work. I just remember going into those tunnels with my brother and just praying like, Jesus, take the wheel get us out of here. Like you, felt like, a, like you felt like a rodent going under the ground and you were just trying to figure, like as a guy from the South who'd never done that, I just had no concept of that. And man, she would lead us out of the tunnel and we were like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, and I remember missing our turn and we would have to sort of, you know, rework it. And it was, it was rough. Like when we got out, we just generally thank God that we made it. And, and GPS has gotten so much better. Like it can recalculate amazingly. I can't, I don't use Waze. Um, I don't want to be like that uh, on edge listening to, oh, I can turn here and save 48 seconds. Like I don't care that much about time. But like, you know, apparently the way this works is there's not a little navigator in my phone, but there's a satellite somewhere up in the sky that is sending a signal down to my phone, which is incredible if we think about it, right? And it's telling my phone where to tell me to go. That's an incredible, uh, that's an incredible perspective that something in outer space is looking down and telling me it knows where I am, it knows where I'm supposed to go, and it tells me the best and fastest way to get there. Like, that is insane. And I wish that life came with a similar setup. Like, I, I look at my boys, you probably look at Bryn, you're like, God, if there is like a 10-step direction for how to get her to high school graduation, marriage, adulthood, if we can, if you could tell us the 10 steps, like we'll follow all 10. Like, you know, you do that with your kids. I, I remember the day I got married, like being so excited to marry Natalie, but thinking, God, don't let me screw this up. Like, you know, she comes around the corner and, you know, you're just trying to hold it together emotionally And I'm also thinking about how big what I've just, like, now I'm not just responsible for me. I'm responsible for, it's now we and not just me. And uh, that's scary. I wish that there were just this roadmap that said, hey, I've got a higher perspective, and I'll tell you exactly how to get there. So, you know, with hope, how do you get hope graduated with whatever is the highest ceiling that she's capable of? How do you, if you're single, find that amazing Mr. Right? How, if you're married, do you navigate through, like, becoming one flesh well? That is hard work. How do you have successful kids? This is one I would do totally because I'm married to a hypochondriac and some of that rubs off. God, how do I avoid getting cancer? Are there 10 steps that I could just do these things and totally avoid getting cancer? And you can't. Like some of you are even shaking your head. No, you can't do that. How do I navigate financial uncertainty? We sold our first house uh, in September of 2008. And two weeks later, the housing market where we were completely crashed. 
And within, literally within three months, the woman who bought our house, the house had lost $50,000 in value on a $120,000 house. And so she was underwater on this mortgage. And I felt terrible for her, but I just thought, whew, how did we get out of that? Like God was so good to us. And we'd love to have happy endings But I think even more, we'd love to know that God has a really clear plan for our life and is leading us and his perspective uh, is here and he's guiding us uh, and and we're on the right track. Like that's what I think even more than saying, here's the 10 steps and Bryn's going to be okay. Sometimes it's just powerful enough to feel God's spirit say, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. You're on the right, right way. And so today, I want to talk about how the Bible will do that. Like, the Bible is not um, a, mag- like a magic book where, like a book of spells, where if I learn the right verses and can quote them back, then I'm guaranteed like a get-out-of-jail card. It's not that. But it certainly is the words of God to us from a different perspective that will help us live our life well. So let's just look at two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Sorry I didn't get the page number. Um, but we're just going to look at 16 and 17, and, and we'll almost walk through it on the screen pretty easily. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So, every, so uh, if you go to the first one, yep. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is authored by God. The Bible is authored by God. Now, there are all kinds of views about how we got the Bible and who wrote it, okay? Here's our church's view, and it's so important, but it's on our church's website under the what, I be- what we believe tab. We believe that God inspired the men who wrote down the books of the Bible. And he also inspired the writings and the finished product. Now, he didn't dictate. He didn't say, Julie... I want you, oh, I didn't like, if Julie had been writing a book of the Bible, he wouldn't have said, now, Julie, you put a comma there. That was supposed to be a semicolon, or you said and, and that was supposed to be yet. It didn't work like that, but God inspired it. And when they got to the final product, the final product was most definitely inspired by God. All of it's given by God. All of the Bible is from God. And it's not just the parts I like. Like, there are parts of the Bible I read, and I'm like, I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that part. Do you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, that's inconvenient. I'm going to have to change the way I think based on that verse. And I've kind of enjoyed doing it my way for a long time. Like all the Bible is given by God, not just the parts I like, not just the parts I agree with, and not even just the parts that easily make sense to me. Have you ever read a, a passage in the Bible and been like, okay, there were 10 verses. I understood one of them. Nine of them, I had no clue what they were talking about. My mom tries to read through the Bible every year. She says every year she gets stuck in Ezekiel. She's like, I don't know what that, I don't know what it's about. She's like, I do my best. She's like, so she tries to burn through Ezekiel just so she can get to whatever's next because she doesn't understand it. And uh, I get that. It's all given by God, okay? But, and this is important. It's all important. But Scott, if you go to the next, I'm going to put an asterisk on this. All scripture is important because it's given by God. And all scripture is inspired But all scriptures, all the parts of the Bible, are not equally applicable. And not all parts are equally relevant. The Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, was written for the nation of ancient Israel. That nation, as it was then, does not exist anymore. 
And so sometimes it's easy to read parts of the Old Testament and think, oh, well, this is for me, and it scares us to death. But it's not. It was written to the nation of Israel to tell that nation how they were to behave. And so we've got to understand, and we've got to become really skilled over time in handling the Word of God, because not all of the Bible is equally applicable or relevant. That's why you'll hear people say, when somebody, if you ever talk to somebody and they're like, I want to read, I want to read the Bible. And, and I would encourage you to say, then start with one of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Don't start in Genesis. They will get confused very quickly, and they won't understand this principle. But the Bible says all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so I want to encourage you to understand that prayer is how we talk to God. Because the Bible is given by God, the Bible is how God talks back to us. Sometimes God speaks to our hearts. One thing I love about pastoring Carla is she has a very keen ear to hear what God is saying to her heart. Uh, not, not everybody has that. It's, very, it's, it's awesome to hear. She'll text Natalie and I sometimes say, God impressed this on my heart. It's good. Primarily, God speaks through his word. So Friday, she texted us and said, I was reading in this book of the Bible, and God really spoke to me through this verse. That's how God speaks. Prayer is how we talk to God. Generally, the Bible is how God talks most clearly to us. And so has anybody ever talked at you? You ever had somebody talk at you? I talked to somebody the other day. She talked 30 minutes before I got a word in. Literally. I wanted to just set my phone down. Go pop some popcorn, use the restroom, and then come back. She still would have been talking. God bless her. I I love her. She still would have been talking, right? Sometimes we do that with prayer. We just talk at God. But we've got to give God permission to speak back into our hearts through the word. And it's really critical that we learn to do that. And so understand that the Bible is inspired. It's trustworthy and it's authoritative. And uh, this is a book that's really helped me on this. It's called How We Got the Bible. Super simple, lots of pictures, if you like pictures, lots of charts. Uh, If you'd ever want to borrow this and take a peek at it, you can. It just shows how the Bible's arranged, how we got it, how we got the finished product. Second thing that this verse says, said, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. If you'll go uh, right here, you've got it. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So all of the Bible is profitable for living. The Bible in its totality is profitable for how we live our life. If you'll go to the next one. Again, says the exact same thing. All scripture is important and inspired, but not equally applicable or relevant. So all of the Bible as a whole is profitable for us to live our life, but not all of it. Here's a crazy verse. In Deuteronomy, there's a verse. I can't even refer to it. I don't want to know where it is because I might be tempted to memorize it at times with my own children. It says that if you have a child and you find that that child is just crazy and, in, and incorrectable, just stone the child. Just take the child to the elder. Renee like that. That's his new favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, just take the child to the elders and stone him. Why was that law in there? I have no idea. How, does that, how do you correctly apply that? Was that law ever correctly applied? I have no idea. But it's there in Deuteronomy. Because of Jesus, that is not a law that we would follow. We don't sacrifice animals when we sin because of Jesus. We don't have to go and live outside of the neighborhood when we sin because of Jesus. Jesus has reframed everything. So all of the Bible is profitable for living. But not that we can't just pick up the Bible and go, I'm going to close my eyes and find this verse And I'm going to do whatever this verse says because that may get you in trouble. Like, 
that may get you in trouble. You, we have to see the Bible as a whole and where it's going. So it's profitable for living. It will teach us. In other words, it'll show us God's way, the best way for living, uh, because in it we meet the author. And that is something that we don't often think about. When we read the Bible, we're not reading a bunch of rules. We're meeting the author. Like, I love to read. The Bible speaks to me in a way that no other book has the authority to read. I love C.S. Lewis. I love, like, old Christian authors. I love stuff by a guy named Jim Elliott, who died in the jungles as a missionary in the 1950s. Uh, I love these heroes of the Christian faith. And I love... Uh, classic literature. I love reading like Charles Dickens. I love reading people from the 1800s. I love reading people from the 1600s. I love reading histories. Those things are great, but they don't speak in the same way that God's word is. So the Bible, it says, will teach us. It's helpful for reproof or rebuking or calling us out. The other day, my buddy Al quoted a verse in Luke 17. The verse, uh, when he read it, have you ever had the Bible thump you on the forehead? Or on the heart, that's what happened to me. Al read this verse, and it totally thumped me on the heart. Renee, will you close two of those doors? There's some guys I think about to do some parkour, and I don't want to be distracted by that. (laughs) It says it'll correct us. The Bible will set us straight. It'll set us straight. And here's the thing on that. Uh, When we come to the Word, if we come to it often, like daily or multiple times during the week when the bible needs us to be corrected it only has to correct us a little bit because we should be going this way and we get to going this way but if as the people of god if as christians we go months without reading the bible or weeks or even years look we get further off and so when the bible corrects us and hones us back in it has to bring it has to go a long ways and so there's value in being in scripture regularly and not getting far off from where God intends for us to be. And then it says that it will train us. I had a friend, Matthew, who was a, he was my co-pastor in Greenville, and he was a trainer. Like, his biceps were as big as my thighs, and it was embarrassing to work alongside him. Like, you know, we look like the number 10, like, at best. And he was, I was, you know, thinner than him, and he was strong and squatty, and, uh, and he would train people, and he basically would make them want to die in the gym. And the Bible will push us past our point of comfort to strengthen our muscles of faith. And that's what it's intended to do and how it's set up to do. It pushes us, it stretches us, it even exhausts us, but it builds strength and endurance and faith. And so there's four reasons I think that we would come to Scripture. If you're going to write anything down today, I think this would be uh, what you might write down. Number one, Scripture will help us live wisely. Helps us live wisely. Well, wisely. Psalm 119, 98 through 100 says that the scriptures will make us wiser than our enemies. It will make us wiser than our teachers. And it will make us wiser than old people. The scripture gets, gets us ahead of the curve on how to live and how to live well by faith. And so uh, we can live and know. See, I think most of us tend to know right versus wrong. But we want to know good versus best and even good versus God's. Like, you know what's right and wrong for Ryan and Ellie and Bryn, but as a parent, you don't want them to choose just right over wrong. You want them to choose the best over the good and what is God's over what is good. And Scripture will point us there. It gives it, it, you want the same. When you, as you move to D.C., you don't want 
you, don't, you didn't want the wrong neighborhood. You wanted the best neighborhood for Fletcher. And Scripture will begin to steer us in that way, in a very unique way. The second thing that Scripture will do is it makes us fruitful. It makes us fruitful. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words, my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Scripture will make our lives fruitful. We'll get the fruit of the Spirit. We'll get the highest quality of life because we'll have God's perspective. And we'll become influencers and soul winners because we've abided in God's word. The third thing Scripture will do, it prepares us for battle. We're going to do a series this fall called How to Bully a Bully. Because, you know, I think people think of Christians as just being passive and whipping posts, you know, and not knowing how to fight. I think a lot of times we don't know how we're supposed to fight and we forget who our enemy is. But the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that the the word of God is the sword of the spirit. There is an enemy. We had breakfast with Nick and Ashley yesterday and we were just talking about uh, one thing that I say in talking with couples all the time is, What it means to be a godly couple is not that the man is this macho sort of, I'm going to lead my family, I'm making every decision unilaterally. But it also doesn't mean that he sits back and just passively lets the wife lead everything. What it means to be a godly couple is to walk side by side. And if you're in the middle of walking through Charlestown at night and an enemy jumps out with a knife or a gun, to lead your family means the husband jumps in front and is willing to lay down his life for his family, as Jesus laid down his life for the church, right? What it means to um, be a godly couple is that when Satan would jump out to destroy your family or your life, the husband is willing to lead to jump out and defend his family against the enemy, right? We've got to live understanding that Satan is our enemy and he wants to fight. And our weapon is scripture. And so we pray scripture for one another, and we speak scripture. And, and we don't do it sort of afraid and, and like backing down or being embarrassed. Or we, we, we know scripture and we speak it authoritatively, authoritatively. There are times with my boys where we just pray scripture over them. And that's good and God honoring. That's the best weapon. Ephesians 6 says the Bible is the sword of the spirit. So when we read the Bible, we're preparing for a real battle that we're in the middle of to fight a real enemy. And then the fourth thing that happens with the Bible, and this is, I think, the most important, is it teaches us to hear and know God's voice. The Bible will teach us to hear and know God's voice. Uh, the other day we went and saw Annie. I'm sorry to tell so many stories today. We went and saw Annie at the hospital, and she was telling us about uh, how, how God has spoken to her very sweetly and supernaturally four or five times in her life. And man, that's like, they're beautiful stories. As she was telling it the other day, like I was getting emotional and have had a similar encounter just once or twice where God's spoken to me in a similar way. But that's the outlier. That's not the norm. And scripture becomes, well, as we learn scripture, we learn God's voice and we learn how God talks. God's not urgent, if you feel something that's like, buy this today, buy this today, buy this today, like, God's not urgent like that. If you feel something that says, send that hateful email, send it now, let them have it, give it to them, that's not how God talks. God is steady and calm, and his voice is still and quiet. Sometimes it's almost hard to discern, and we have to pause and wait, and then we know, okay, God was leading me that way. Scripture 
is how we begin to hear God's voice. Sometimes a, a verse will just jump off a page, and that's how God speaks to us, and it's powerful. Sometimes because we've encountered God in the Bible, we begin to just hear him even more, and we know when he's speaking and guiding us. And so it goes on. It says, it's breathed out by God and profitable that the person of God may be equipped and competent for everything Uh, for every good work. So God qualifies us and he arms us for every good work. One thing that I've really learned in the last few years of my life is God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those he has called. And so you might say, I didn't know the Bible. I came to faith later in life. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't this. Listen, then you're exactly who God would use. That's exactly who God wants to use, the person who doesn't feel like they have it all together. The points where God has used me the most in life are the points where I felt the weakest. If you're in a season of a hard time or feeling like you've been pushed and pressed, understand that that's right where God may use you. You're dependent on him. Those are the places where he wants to use us the most. And so as a pastor, I would say one thing that we really want to work on this summer as a church and one thing that's really critical for the health of Christ Church Charlestown if this church is going to be here 100 years from now, how we do this one thing for the next six months is really critical. A baby bird is fed by its mom when the mom eats a worm and then vomits it out into the baby's mouth, right? That's how it works, right? Uh, so can you imagine being a baby bird, getting all of your nourishment from like vomited worms for most of your life? Think about that first day that the mom's like, all right, you're good to go. You get to eat that worm on your own. And you would think, I mean, as gross as a worm must be, it, it's got to be better than a vomit worm, right? Can you imagine thinking, whew, okay, I didn't know what I was missing. This is what it's like to be an adult. Like, no more regurgitated worms. I'm feeding myself. I'm doing this. God would, our faith works by the same principle. We are to learn to self-feed. We're to learn to self-feed on the Word of God. So many people who follow Jesus The only time they ever get fed by God's word is when they walk into a church on Sunday or under a small group. And a church will not grow past the ability of its people to feed on the word of God themselves. Because, well, well, I'll just stop there. Like, so here I think would be what you need to self-feed. Scott, I think I've got this as as the next slide. Uh, You can go to the next one. Here would be, I think, the five things that you would need to self-feed well on your own. One, a pen or a pencil if you like to, if you make a lot of mistakes. Two, a journal. We'll provide that today. Three, a Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible, I think a paper Bible actually matters on this one versus a phone Bible. So if you don't own a paper Bible or not sure where it is or it's propping the door open to, you know, the door that won't stay uh, open at your house, like take one of the paper Bibles today. Uh, I think you need a plan and we'll give you that today. And then if you, how many of you have wandering minds? Okay, good. All of us. Great. Uh, You might take a post-it note or a day planner. So when you get distracted, you can just write that note right here on the planner. You might sit down with that just so that your mind doesn't have permission to wander off into anywhere. And I would totally encourage you to not bring your phone. And that's why I think a paper value, paper Bible is valuable because it's easy to look at Instagram or ESPN, or the news, or whatever it is you may go and look at, right? And this would be the four things that make up that time with God. If you'll go to the next one, Scott, if you don't care. One, 
you sit down, and, and so you're going to get a passage of the Bible, maybe three verses, maybe ten verses, and you're going to pick one verse that stands out. Uh, the acronym we use for this is SOAP. You're going to find the one verse that stands out. So let's say that you read this today. Let's say we read uh, this passage today. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. If you read this whole chapter, right? Look, that's verses 16 and 17. In my Bible, the only verses I've underlined, at some point I was reading this, and 16 and 17 stood out to me. So that was the verse that stood out. So if I'm writing in a journal, I'm going to write down verse 16. I'm going to write it out. Because what you write, you're more inclined to retain. So I'm going to write out that verse. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to write down an observation. What the passage is saying. As I read this, as I read this verse, the, the part that stands out is the idea of training. Because training is miserable. Training's the worst. Eating right, exercising, giving that last rep or that last tenth of a mile is the worst. You know what I mean? But the Bible, Scripture trains us. So that would be, for me, an observation. Uh, It would be that, that if I were reading my Bible, doing soap around this passage, it would be that the Bible is going to train me, and sometimes that's not going to be comfortable. It's going to demand more of me than I'm inclined to give. A, applications would be the next thing. Just one sentence. Here is what I think I'm supposed to do in light of what I've just read. Oh, if I just read this passage, I might say, oh, well, I think what I need to do is spend more time in God's word. Ten minutes a day. Not an hour. Not even 30 minutes. If you sit down to do that, that's great. But ten minutes a day, I need to begin to do this. I need to make this habit. And then P, prayer, is just writing out. Maybe a prayer that's concerning you, God, help us settle in, help Fletcher travel well, help my kids sleep well at night. God, give us a great summer that's restful. Help me work through this hard emotional season that I'm going through. But also, God, just help me do whatever you just wrote down as the application. The crazy, amazing thing that we forget about God, my brother referenced this in his sermon the other day, is not that God has hired us as employees, but that God's spirit lives in us, and whatever he calls us to do, He will help us to do if we ask him. And so application is not what I'm supposed to do, but God, how will I live differently today in light of what I just read? Prayer, God, help me live differently today in light of what I just read. And that's what it, uh, and that should take you about 10 minutes. Um, And here's the truth. I think I, I maybe even put this up as the next line. If you miss one day in God's word, you know it. If you miss two days in God's word, your family knows it. If you miss three days, everybody begins to know it. That's a general rule in our house. If I miss one day in the word, I know it. I I can kind of fake it with Natalie. If I miss two days, she begins to know. I become snippier. I live less my faith, and I'm more frantic. If I miss three days, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. That's just a good principle. So we need to be regularly engaged in God's word. I hate missing meals. You can tell I, this summer, am eating meals between meals. It's shameful how much I'm eating right now. Uh, I'm not ready to do anything about it other than just confess it to you. I don't like missing meals. Uh, think about, like, if you go a day without food, if you go two days without food, if you go three days without food, 
you know what, man, we, I, I pray that as a church, we would become so conditioned to need God's word every day that we literally begin to feel the hunger pangs of being away from God's word when we don't spend time with him. And so how would your life be different if you heard from God every day of a day's start or before you went to bed so that you could start the next day really well? How would your life be different if you consistently three, four times a week said, God said this to me, God said this to me, God spoke to me about this at work, God told me to be an influencer with this person, to take this person for coffee, to let this habit die, this was sin, I've got to do this, God wants me to live more differently in this area. And so I showed you that book, the, the book that best explains this is called The Divine Mentor, it's by a guy named Wayne Cordero who's a pastor in Hawaii, it just explains that soap principle more in theory if you're a nerd and want to read more of it, but it's really powerful uh, I, could, I won't go on and tell you a story about that. But at the table today, there's a couple of things. There's all the normal stuff, the chocolate, the Bibles, whatever. Uh, but there's a life journal. And in that life journal is every day space for you to soap. And it's not dated. So if you miss a day, you have to feel no guilt. But for every day during the year, there's a, a set of verses. And there's an abbreviated plan. If you're in a hurry, if you have to start the day quickly, it's just two or three verses. And then there's an extended plan. If you take 20, 30 minutes to do it, it has just a few more verses, right? But there's one for every day. So if you go four days during the week and not seven, pick the date, find out the thing, and read those verses, right? And then there's space for you to write that down. You date it, you do your soap, and you practice, you practice what we're talking about. You're learning to self-feed. I want you to take one of those. We'll have those this summer. Uh, out here and then there's a kids one for families with elementary schoolers and the kids one has the exact same plan so if you guys are reading it and you can sit down with Barrett and read it his will be shorter verses but it'll be the same as what you're reading for that day and as a family like let's say they're out of town and you've got Barrett and you and Barrett decide to soap together you can talk about Barrett what did you hear in this he's going to be reading the same thing that you're reading and so this is going to become a practice in our family. There's kid-friendly ones and adult-friendly ones. And everything I've talked about is explained in there. So take a life journal. If you don't have a paper Bible, take a paper Bible. Um, and here's the other thing I want you to do this week. If you do this, and God really speaks to you in a cool way, take a photo of your journal, maybe even take a photo of the page that God really spoke to you, and just text it to me. The, the number is on the back of the bulletin. Just text it to me. I'd love... Uh, and I want to post it at some point in the coming days in some type of collage of photos of God speaking to us through his word. So you be as artsy-fartsy as you want. Show your latte in the background with your Bible and it's really lit and you look very cool and spiritual. Or just a literal, I took a photo, here it is, boom. You know, however you want to do it. But take a photo of it and text it to us. A point of celebration is a witness to what God's done. My prayer is this. My prayer is that we get to a point where on a Sunday more people are reading the Bible most days during the week than aren't. My second prayer, uh, so that we're, we're not just like, so that as a church we're self-feeding and experiencing God regularly. And you walk in and, and Mark might look at Nick and say, man, I got to tell you what God said to me this week in the Word. And Nick would be like, dude, that's so cool. I read that same passage, but, because you all be reading the same passages, but Nick would say, but God really spoke to me on Thursday through this passage. What a, what a game changer that would be while our church is small this summer for doing that really well, right? And then I pray that we, so then we would have this culture of self-feeding that's building 
in our church. And, and I'm praying that in 90 to 100 days, some of you will come and you will bring your journal and say, because it only lasts 90 days, and say, here's my journal. I finished this one. I'll take the next one. Here's the next one. Like, what a celebration point when we post on Instagram people turning in their journals that they finished 90 days of spending in God's word, right? And then the third thing I'm praying is that one person will own this thing and they'll create a culture of going to people and saying, hey, you need to do this. I'm going to teach you how to do this. It's all explained in the book. But somebody's helping create even a deeper culture so that I'm not having to beat that drum, but you guys are beating that drum. People expect their pastor to read the Bible. If you have a pastor who doesn't read the Bible, you need a different pastor. <laughs> like, you agree? Amen. Like, Lana, amen on that. That's pretty good. Like, if you have a pastor, and trust me, I've known a lot of pastors who don't read the Bible. It, it would shock you how many don't. It would shock you. It's really sad. Um, and there's grace and like we all miss days in the word, but you want your pastor reading the Bible. And so when we go to create that culture, it can't be me creating the culture of self-feeding. It actually has to be you because everybody expects me to do it. But when you're doing it and beating the drum for it, then it becomes, we can create a culture where you're leading. It's your church, it's your community, it's us living on mission, but it's your church, it's not my church. And you can really, we can create a culture, but it'll happen from here and not from here. All right, so let me pray for us and then um, grab a life journal, grab some more coffee, grab whatever you need. And, uh, and we'll wrap up.